Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, well, you just heard it. We're going to talk about America's baby formula shortage. The Biden administration is implementing new strategies they hope will meet the demand. Of course, this after a recall has stymied production. The Defense Production Act gives the government the ability to require suppliers to direct needed resources to infant formula manufacturers before any other customer who may have ordered that good. Meanwhile, here in Georgia, advocates say now's the time to not do more than talk, but let's talk about expanding milk banks in the state. And, of course, we'll continue our area college graduate profiles. Today we speak with Candace Washington from Georgia Tech. She's dedicated to identifying and removing the barriers for women in construction. Those conversations coming up. But first this, Georgia Congresswoman Lucy McBath says women can face extreme trauma when forced to carry non-viable pregnancies. McBath spoke at a House Judiciary Committee yesterday. She talked about her own struggle with miscarriages and pregnancy in the meeting on abortion access in the U.S. Of course, this coming after that leaked U.S. Supreme Court draft ruling would overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, McBath joined other Democrats in calling to protect the abortion rights. We can be the nation that rolls back the clock, that rolls back the rights of women, and that strips them of their very liberty. Or we can be the nation of choice, the nation where every woman can make her own choice. Freedom is our right to choose. McBath faces U.S. Representative Carolyn Bardot this year in the election for the newly redrawn 7th Congressional District. And speaking of upcoming elections, of course, next Tuesday is Georgia's primary. Governor Brian Kemp wants to lock in the Republican nomination next week. His main Republican opponent, former U.S. Senator David Perdue, has other plans. But Perdue's ad spending and campaign schedule has been dwindling, as we hear from our own Sam Greenglass. In these final days before Tuesday's primary, David Perdue's public schedule is pretty light. Meanwhile, Kemp is zipping around the state on a black and red campaign bus. On Tuesday night, Kemp rallied in Alpharetta Town Square with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. The reason I'm here is because we need great governors around this country, experienced, smart, tough governors. And that's going to make the Republican Party better up and down the ticket. Kemp has lined up a handful of current and former GOP governors to join him on the trail. Next week, former vice president and one-time Indiana governor Mike Pence will stump for Kemp. Pence is bucking his former running mate Donald Trump, who vigorously endorsed Purdue. This race will be a big test of Trump's grip on the party. At that Alpharetta rally, Robert Duffy is sipping a margarita. He's just come from voting early for Kemp. I think that you, you go with track record, and I think if you look at the track record for Kemp so far, you know, how can you go wrong? 
when you're going to get success through a very challenging time. Duffy says he voted for Trump both times, but the former president's Purdue endorsement didn't sway him. Trump has spent months spreading false claims about the 2020 election, and Duffy says it's time to move on. Sam Greenglass, WABE News, Alpharetta. And let's go back to that widespread baby formula shortage for a moment, because here in Georgia, officials are saying beware of scams and and price gouging, as we hear from Alex Helmick. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr says some scammers may create fake websites offering baby formula that would ultimately steal people's money. And some retailers may be selling formula at exorbitant prices. Georgia's state of emergency for supply chain issues covers baby formula and can punish those considered to be price gouging. Meantime, the State Department of Public Health says parents should get their doctor's advice on what to do to meet their baby's nutritional needs if they can't find formula. The state is working with other agencies in an effort to help low-income residents find baby formula in their area. Alex Helmick, WAB News. And finally, if you're ready to get your Memorial Day travel on, you will be among the 2 million plus passengers expected at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International over the Memorial Day weekend. Now, this is in spite of an increase in COVID-19 infections nationwide. But as Lily Oppenheimer reports, we know where folks are going to travel this holiday. Despite the spike in COVID cases and high inflation, reservations for flights, hotels, rental cars and cruises have more than doubled from last year. That's according to motoring group AAA. The group says buying tickets now will save you money. On average, prices are expected to double the week of Memorial Day. AAA says the domestic hotspot is Orlando, followed by Seattle, Miami, and Vegas. Internationally, it's Vancouver, followed by Paris and Dublin, Ireland. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News. Hmm. Y'all going to Ireland? Cool. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from... The Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. That nation's current baby formula shortage, if you're wondering how it all began, well, it began earlier this year when there was a, a recall by one of the biggest producers, Abbott Laboratories. Now, Abbott recalled infant formula products from its Sturgis, Michigan plant. This was back in February, and that was due to reports of serious bacterial infections in four infants. And they all were reportedly fed formula products made at that Sturgis plant. Now, Abbott continues to deny the formula is the cause of the bacterial infections in the most recent statement, citing, quote, there is no evidence to link our formulas to these infant illnesses, close quote. But here's what we do know. Nearly 40 percent of the formula cannot be found. And that's due to supply chain issues, of course, inflation high demand and also low supply. Hardest hit households we know are low income and rural populations. So here's what we also know. At the start of May, 
43% of the baby formula was out of stock at retailers, according to experts. Now, as the U.S. continues to deal with this baby formula shortage, the Biden administration, as we just heard earlier, is taking what they call emergency steps to get the formula back on the shelves to mothers and babies. Here's President Biden yesterday. Today, I'm invoking what they call the Defense Production Act to ensure that manufacturers have the necessary ingredients to make safe, healthy infant formula here at home. The Defense Production Act gives the government the ability to require suppliers to direct needed resources to infant formula manufacturers before any other customer who may have ordered that good. And I'm also announcing Operation Fly Formula. That's to be able to speed up the import of infant formula and start getting more formula in stores as soon as possible. I've directed the Department of Defense and the Department of Health and Human Services to send aircraft planes overseas to pick up infant formula that meets U.S. health and safety standards so we can get it on the store shelves faster. Meanwhile, there are calls right here in Georgia from advocates to say now is the time to not only just go beyond talking, but let's have a real conversation about getting milk banks here in the state. Joining me now to talk more about all of this is Christy Corsi, a licensed lactation consultant and the executive director of Breastfeed Atlanta. Christy, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Happy to be here. You know, many folks have been saying, wow, how could this happen? And then I think a, a surprise for a lot of folks was that a large percentage, if not all, of the baby formula products that are made here in the U.S., three companies are responsible for? Yep, that's right. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names, but Infamil, Gerber, and Similac make most of our formula. Mm -hmm. And people who work in this industry have known for a long time that there's not very much on the shelves, period. There's usually enough there um, to last the surrounding community for a week, maybe a little bit more. Um, And we also saw this as emerging as a problem at the onset of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, Rose, but there were a few weeks when formula became very scarce. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's a problem that we're familiar with, although on, on this scale, we've never seen it before. This is May. We're in May. This plant had its problems first reported in February, although there are some reports that there could have been some problems the months before. But between February and May, and there were some reports, but did we? Did the U.S. just move too slow? This is through your opinion. Did the U.S. move too slow and now in trying to address this problem? Did they move too slow? I don't think so, because you always have to weigh the risk and benefit of something like an involuntary recall. There are consequences either way. So it, there's a lot that goes into deciding what is what's best for everyone. And I, I don't know that there was a way to avoid this, mm-hmm. honestly. Let's back up for our listeners who may not be familiar. Let's get some terms out the way. When we say milk bank, what are we talking about here? So a milk bank refers to exactly what it sounds like. So very similar to a blood bank. Um, people who are breastfeeding and have excess milk can donate it to a milk bank where it is tested and stored and then distributed to babies who need it. Most commonly, that milk goes to babies who are hospitalized and premature and with other disorders and diseases. And there are regulations around these milk banks, correct? Yes, that's a little bit cloudy. So most milk banks in our country are not-for-profit organizations, and they are kind of certified, and you could say regulated, um, by their their parent organization, which is Human Milk Banking Association of North America. 
Um, but there are other models that are emerging that don't fall under that, um, which kind of serve a different purpose. Here in Georgia, are there, I know there are organizations that work, but are there milk banks? Presently, there is not one milk bank in the state of Georgia. We have milk depots, and there are several of them around the metro Atlanta area. Breastfeed Atlanta is happy and proud to host one. Mm -hmm. Um, And what milk depots do is they actually collect milk from certified approved donors, and then they ship it to the milk banks, which are all out of state. What? Wait, 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 wait. wait. (laughs) So... (laughs) So we have the milk depots. Folks mm-hmm. are donating their their milk, but it goes out of state because we don't have a milk bank, which could help mothers and babies here. Yeah, so the most vulnerable babies are definitely taken care of. Um, all hospitals in Georgia have a source for donor human milk for their babies, Mm -hmm. whether it be from the milk bank in Raleigh, there's one in North Texas, um, our milk bank is in Birmingham, Alabama. All of those hospitals are served. It's just not local. It's it's long distance milk, if you will. It, is it, is it a a issue that we don't have milk? Is it a legislation legislation that needs to be passed? How does a state get a milk bank or you just need to have one here? Take our listeners through this because we don't know. It's organized by professionals in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't need any legislation or anything like that. You just need a group of dedicated individuals who are able to fundraise and organize and put it together. And that so far, for whatever reason, just has not happened in Georgia. Uh, I have an email from a listener and it's actually one of my questions. Is this costly? That could be a problem to like, how much would it take to get the process started, get one built? I I don't know. You know, I'm imagining you have to have certain types of machinery in order to house it. Yep. So you need um, specialized space to be able to do this. It's kind of like a laboratory. Um, You need sub-zero freezers to flash freeze the milk. And you, of course, need trained people to do all of this. And then um, the milk is tested, it is cooled, and it is pasteurized, Mm -hmm. um, and then packaged and shipped out. And the the equipment to do all of that is, is what most of the expense is involved in. I have another email from a listener who wants to know, so how much space are we talking here, you think? I am several thousand square feet, probably. Um, I would think five to 10,000 square feet, I'm estimating. I've visited one milk bank before, and it was a pretty pretty mm-hmm. large operation. But you can, of course, start small and grow. And there are also other models um, for milk banking. Um that would be less costly and and probably a little bit easier and more accessible. Um, Milk bank milk that's dispensed to hospitals right now because of the expense involved in in pasteurizing and testing it cost around $5 per ounce. Mm -hmm. So anyone who has a newborn baby, if your baby's taking three ounces per feed, that's $15 per feed. So Mm -hmm. that adds up very quickly and, and becomes inaccessible. So now the here comes the economics and, and, and all of this too. Yeah. So where? So are Georgia households or are they turning to outside milk banks then to get? So there are several ways that people can get milk. 
Mm-hmm. So Hembana milk banks, um, they ship most of their milk to hospitals. However, if all of their hospital orders are filled and there is a request for donor milk by the family of a baby who is not hospitalized, they will ship milk to them. But again, it's very expensive, mm-hmm. um, usually $100 per day or more to feed that baby. So then the other models for obtaining donor breast milk, um, a lot of people in their community will do what we call informal milk sharing or peer milk sharing, where mm-hmm. one mother simply gives her milk to another family that needs it. Um, and then you also have milk co-ops or milk alliances, which function a lot like the Hembana milk banks. Um, however, they don't do the same level of like pasteurization and testing of the milk. They do all of the screening, um, but because this milk is not going to hospitals, mm-hmm. um, they don't do all the pasteurization. And so it makes it a lot more accessible and financially and economically. And then there are, of course, a lot of concerns there are around that as well. What are you all hearing from folks that are calling your your organization you have to understand that the urge to feed a baby is the most primal natural urge that a mother has Mm -hmm. so when they're unable to do that or fear that they may be unable to do that um it invokes like absolute panic it's terrifying and particularly for people who have tried to breastfeed and they use formula as their backup plan when breastfeeding doesn't work and now mm. their backup plan is threatened. Mm. It's terrifying. So we're, we're hearing from moms who are very, very stressed out. We haven't really heard anybody who is out of formula and can't find it, but it's lots of people who are saying, I have enough to last till tomorrow. What do I do if I run out? Um, or they can't find their preferred brand and they've got, you know, like, two options and it's like which one do i choose what do i do do i make my own formula those kind of questions and they always want to know if we have donor milk for them as well and and of course we don't we're just the the depot right now so the services that you all can provide right now what are they well we are lactation consultants so we we are trained and we specialize in breastfeeding and just in baby feeding in general. So our goal is always a safely fed baby. Where we can help the most is with education and helping people make those decisions. Um, For example, when their preferred brand is not available, like what is an acceptable alternative and where to go and look for it. Um, We can also in extreme situations when a baby has a metabolic disorder or something, um, we can connect them with our connections at, formula companies and and that kind of thing. But education, I think, is probably where we're able to help the most. And a little bit with um, preventing the need for formula. There's a lot of optimization that we can do in the early weeks for people who want to breastfeed to make sure that they don't have to use formula unless they want to. And we should note, um, of course, we encourage, you are an expert, but we encourage everyone to speak with their pediatrician or some primary care physician that Absolutely. works with their household, but because I, I think for some people listening, and I have some emails, and I think, and, they, and I hope folks understand when, when a, an emailer says, "Well, why can't a mother just breastfeed?" And they need to understand that it doesn't work that way. It's not like that, folks. For folks that unfortunately, don't know it's not. And yeah. if it was, then none of this would even be a conversation because yeah. people would just breastfeed if it were that easy, and, and I wouldn't have a job, and <laughs> this would yeah. be going on. Um, so. 
we have evidence from the American Medical Association and, and others that up to 20% of women who are of childbearing age um, are at risk for not making a full milk supply. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not something that people exactly have control over all the time. In addition to those kind of medical issues, the pressure on moms today to be everything to everybody is immense. And the the pandemic definitely exacerbated that. But we work with people who are going back to work at two weeks postpartum, sometimes sooner than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are all the reasons that people can't just breastfeed. What are you hearing from your counterparts in other states or throughout the nation? I imagine you all are experiencing the same issues here and concerns. We're all going through the same thing. Yeah. I've been talking to friends in Florida and California, and we're all just trying to kind of pool resources and give each other ideas, but more than anything, support each other because it's it's trying for us as well. It's it's not fun and it's it, it weighs on you after a while. I'm curious, I want to go back to the milk bank, because if it's not anything that uh, that requires legislation, it sounds like it just requires a, a will, a collaboration of folks coming together. Um, how do you get, and I imagine maybe you all have tried this. Is it simply, it just takes a lot of money to get started? <laughs> does. So you you have to start a not-for-profit organization and you have to secure all this equipment and space and personnel um, before you ever open your doors and process a single ounce of milk. So I've never been involved with efforts to open a Havana not-for-profit milk bank before. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been in this industry for about 18 years. I understand that about 10 years ago, some people did get together and start that, but I, I don't know where it ended. Other than that, we don't have a milk bank still. Um, but people are talking about starting one of the milk alliances or milk co-ops in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that could serve us quickly and efficiently. There are so many people who are donating and wanting to donate. Our milk depot has been busier than ever before, even during the pandemic. Our freezer is constantly full. We are shipping out milk all the time. But it's going out of state. That's right. Yeah. And, and and certainly folks understand everyone, we want everyone to to have the resources to benefit. But when we're talking about here in Georgia and also want to talk about for our, in rural populations, we, you know, often we talk about low income and in and, and those households in which we should. Let's also add in the rural population. It's hard for them to even maybe even get to a, a nearby store or they have to travel far to even get it to is. a nearby store. And then you get to the store and it's out. Right. And you just drove like, you know, use half a tank of gas to get there. And now where are you going to go? The next door, maybe another 30 minutes away. And you don't know if there's formula there or not. You know, one thing that I have seen throughout all of this that's been very encouraging is the collective will of mothers to help each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeing people come together and communicate and organize and and really just help each other out has been amazing. And I think that's how we're all going to get through this. It is how we're getting through it, actually. I have a question here from an emailer who says, Rose, are there any recommendations from mothers who are HIV positive or may have mental and substance use challenges? Hmm. 
So if you're HIV positive in the United States, it's recommended that you not breastfeed currently. The World Health Organization um, is starting to change their guidelines a little bit, but the American Academy of Pediatrics still recommends that you do not breastfeed. Um, and those those mothers would also not be eligible um, to donate to a milk bank. Mm-hmm. So I, I did not hear the second part of your question. It was HIV positive and what else? And it said, well, the person wrote mental or substance use challenges. So uh, if the mother is, is experienced, now, I, I don't know. And then I guess I'm assuming, I shouldn't, but with the mental health, if they're, maybe they're taking some type of medication, I don't know if that's the case, but. I'm, so for mental I'm, health problems, you know, that is postpartum depression and anxiety, perinatal mood dis- disorders are the most common complication of childbirth. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not uncommon at all to have a breastfeeding person um, on those kind of medications. There are lots of them that are safe and compatible with breastfeeding. Um, so people who suffer with mental health challenges should not shy away from breastfeeding mm-hmm. solely for that reason. Um, substance abuse is another thing entirely that would mm-hmm. be very dangerous for a baby and formula would be your best choice if you if you regularly misuse substances of any sort. To your knowledge here in the Atlanta area, folks that are if you if folks are, go to a store if that wherever they go and there's a, a shortage, can y'all help them find should they call you all? Can y'all help them find formula or? So we have um, been organizing through a Facebook group. Um, that we started to provide a safe platform for people to do this with some some rules and some boundaries in place. Um, we have one and there are several others in the area as well. Um, that is probably your best bet um, if your pediatrician is not able to help. And when you're talking about doing stuff online like this, um, you should not be buying from people who are price gouging. I haven't seen any of that happen, mm-hmm. but you always want to inspect your your packaging, make sure that it's not damaged or compromised in any way, and check your expiration dates. I want to get your thoughts on, and we can play that clip again, I, and I do want to play that clip again from President Biden in terms of these are the strategies that the his administration is taking to combat this. Today, I'm invoking what they call the Defense Production Act to ensure that manufacturers have the necessary ingredients to make safe, healthy infant formula here at home. The Defense Production Act gives the government the ability to require suppliers to direct needed resources to infant formula manufacturers before any other customer who may have ordered that good. I'm also announcing Operation Fly Formula. That's to be able to speed up the import of infant formula and start getting more formula in stores as soon as possible. I've directed the Department of Defense and the Department of Health and Human Services to send aircraft planes overseas to pick up infant formula that meets U.S. health and safety standards so we can get it on the store shelves faster. And Christy, uh, three specific strategies there. Just uh, first of all, your overall reaction, uh, obviously, will this help? It will help for sure. Um, I applaud all of those actions. My my only thing is like, why didn't we do this several weeks or months ago? We've been sounding the alarm for a while. Um, I think these are exactly the things that you want to do. The one question I have about importing these European formulas is how are they going to make that economically accessible um, to everybody? They're very, very expensive. Um, so I, I have some questions about that. 
Um, and, and also like, why didn't we allow that to happen sooner? These European formulas, most of them meet or exceed at FDA standards and they have for a long time. And um, so that's, that's been a resource that's been available, you know, since the onset of this, that hasn't really been accessed. And so in all these forever, how long these three major, uh, producers, manufacturers of baby formula. And then now we were at a situation where for now, I believe it's 40% is not available. That is. Yep. Including some specialty formulas, some amino acid based formulas and things like that, that are very important for babies with metabolic disorders. And we should note that for households that receive assistance, particularly through the WIC and the other, um, resources they get and I believe they're waiving some of this because I believe and correct me if I'm wrong that there are some stipulations in terms of the brands you could buy correct if you are receiving WIC. Yeah so WIC is a nutritional program for women infants and children Um, it's funded by the United States Department of Agriculture and administered locally Mm -hmm. through our health departments and they issue vouchers for infant formula. Every state is contracted with a formula company to provide that formula as cheaply as possible to the state. And so also they want like the cheapest form of that brand, Mm -hmm. which is usually cans of powder, not premixed and not concentrated and that kind of thing. So several weeks ago, the USDA did issue several waivers allowing people to purchase different brands, allowing them to purchase ready to feed or other liquid forms of formula and in different sizes and amounts. Um, That gets very confusing. Mm -hmm. However, surprisingly, a really good resource to help you figure that out is at your grocery store. Those those, um, grocery store managers and people that work there, they're following this closely and they know and they want to help you. So don't be afraid to walk in with your WIC vouchers and go right up to customer service and say, what do you have that I can buy with this? And as we wrap up, Christy, how optimistic are you that the nation will get through this, especially if this plant in Michigan, uh, once it's been, I guess, approved so they can get back to manufacturing? Um, What's your your outlook? Hopefully the outlook will be here. I think we're in this for a few more months still. Um, Even once that plant gets up and running, it'll take a little bit of time to get things manufactured and distributed. So um, we're, we're in it for a little bit longer, but we'll absolutely get through it. And I, I really think this is probably going to be the worst of it right now. Mm. And of course, if someone out there wants to help develop a Georgia Milk Bank, let's go. <laughs> so we yeah, can you can contact me. My website's breastfeedatl.com. We're ready to do it. All right. Christy Kersey, licensed lactation consultant and the executive director of Breastfeed Atlanta. And, of course, we've been talking about the nationwide shortage of baby formula and her, how her organization is trying to help so many households. Christy, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for what you all are doing to help so many. It was an honor. Thank you, Rose. And Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. 
Okay, raise your hand, unless you're driving or on a bike or an electric scooter, because I don't want y'all to crash. If you knew exactly what your career path was going to be after college. Now, I know for some, you had no idea. You're like, what do I do now? But for many others, you knew. As we continue our graduate profile series, we look to the Georgia Institute of Technology, or as we plain folks say, Georgia Tech, And during one of the graduation ceremonies, Raphael Bostic, the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, well, he talked to the graduates who earned their master's degrees in various disciplines. When you get your master's degree and you settle into jobs as new graduates, you are going to be in positions where others won't have the same experiences as you. These may be people in your field, or they might be people in the Georgia Tech community. Some will just reach out because you are going to have a visibility you didn't have before. Wherever they come from, these people will want to engage with and learn from you. And when they ask to do that, say yes. Sharing what you know will become part and parcel of your narrative and your success. Hmm. Well, Candace Washington was listening to Raphael Bostic. The graduate, of course, Georgia Tech, earned her master's in construction management but that's there's more. She is the CEO and founder of the privately owned WB WMBE certified construction management and engineering firms, Cancave Management and Cancave Engineering. She knows a lot more about this stuff than I do, so she joins me now. Candace Washington, welcome and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Dr. Bostick talked to you all about achieving success, which most commencement speakers do. That's what I did. And the importance of embracing the journey of their your unique career paths and all that. I said that too. But this career path that you on, how long have you known this is where I'm going to be? This is going to be my space. Um, well, actually, Rose, my career path is really a non-traditional path. Mm-hmm. Um, I started actually in... Um, project management. And I worked at a privately owned company that where I was had the responsibility as the VP of operations that I oversaw all the capital improvements. And I guess it had to be my son was about six years old and he uh, started school and I decided I wanted to be available to him. I wanted to be able to go to have lunch and the PTA meetings. And as a result, I started my companies in 2014. Hmm. And uh, I took what I knew, which was project management. Uh, I am a certified project manager, and I started a company in doing the consulting. Uh, We supported the construction management industry primarily, and as a result, I started to get more inquiries around construction. So I kind of changed directions and included construction management as part of our uh, business services. And on a quest to ensure that I knew what I knew in the industry, I ended up, found a, a, a program at Georgia Tech. And as a result, I enrolled in the program. And then once I got in there and just complimenting the things that we were doing at my companies, I knew that construction management is where um, I had the most excitement, I had the most, um, I was more interested in those activities that related to that. So that's when I knew. I have had conversations on this program before as it relates to construction and when they look at this, what we'll call, they call the gender gap and of people working in construction and the very, very low percentage who are women. That is not lost on you. You know that to be true. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, in addition to earning my uh, master's, I actually am a graduate research student at Georgia Tech. And the uh, direction that I'm taking my research is specifically catered and specific to women in construction. Mm -hmm. uh, when Part of my research, uh, when I really dug into the details, the women represent about 9% of the population, the demographic within construction. And interestingly enough of that, about 1% represents women of color. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work to do. Uh, the research really started as a way to address the labor shortages that we are experiencing within the construction industry. And with the women representing only 9%, there's an opportunity for women to you know, get into the space. And when we talk about women in construction, but we can take that a little further and probably look at the numbers, and I'm sure the percentage will be low when you talk about women in construction management. Absolutely. So when you look a little further, when you actually talk about 9% of that being women, of the 9%, we have about 3% actually doing the management of the construction. The other percentages are usually in the administrative roles um, and not necessarily, you know, the front lines, that's the supervisors, the superintendents, the um, technology coordinators and things of that nature. I know that at, I believe it's Kennesaw State, because we actually had, had that segment on this program, that they have a, a Department of Construction Management is one way also to increase I guess we call it the pipeline is to introduce this field to maybe even start in elementary, middle, high school. And then obviously when you get to, then you start looking at a university or a college, then that student says, well, you know what they have, I can get a degree in this. Is that one way of also getting into this field and increasing well, the number you, of women? Yeah. You actually must be reading my research because that's exactly the population. I promise I'm not. <laughs> My research is actually catered to uh, female students age 11 through 17. And the questions in the survey is to understand their perceptions of women in construction. So the, the topic of my research is identifying obstacles and barriers within construction management. And the, whole, the goal is to remove those obstacles and barriers to get young girls interested what in is, construction. What is their perception? Do you have some feedback you can share already? What, when you ask an 11 year old, hey, tell me about construction. What do you think? What is, what is Oh, that? yeah. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of um, interesting, I'll say. Uh, sweaty is hot, uh, <laughs> a bunch of guys, uh, you know, those type of things. Yeah. And, you know, they don't want to be outside. They don't, you know, want to mess up their clothes. They want to stay neat and clean and those type of things. But, what I found is really that there is just a lack of knowledge of mm -hmm. all of the career opportunities that the construction industry has. Mm -hmm. And this is, and this is, you're researching this. And yes. from that, then from that, you're able to say, well, if we take a strategic approach to introducing this, this career to young girls, whether it's middle school or high school, whatever, what are those approaches? Do you have any, can you offer some strategies right now and how we introduce this? And I know for some, in some schools, I know at APS, they have introduced like, you know, mechanical, you know, working on cars and things like that. And, and they've introduced students by partnering with, 
you know, actual companies. Is that going to be key as well? Absolutely. Uh, there is one school within Cobb County that actually focuses on the trades, specifically within the construction industry. Uh, it's called CETA, Cobb uh, Innovation and Technology Academies, and it's in uh, North, uh, North Cobb, North Georgia. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, North Cobb, <laughs> um, in the north part of the Cobb County mm-hmm. School District. And those are great in terms of getting students introduced to the trades. Another way that we want to ensure that students have opportunities um, to explore the job opportunities is to actually look at um, careers specifically that relate to the management of construction. Mm -hmm. So within Georgia Tech, for example, where our curriculum is designed to uh, teach the necessary skills for students to understand how to effectively manage the entire process, to understand the technology that's required. Uh, we have um, an, a, a, a great example of a curriculum that we want to include, and that's going to be a virtual reality mm-hmm. uh, type of environment where the student is immersed within the actual construction site, and they can interact with the actual project to understand the outcomes of their decisions. You and I both know the importance for students, certain communities, specific ethnic groups. You, We both know the importance of seeing someone who looks like you, who comes from your community, who comes from your space, so to speak, uh, doing something that they may have an interest in. I spoke recently to some students at North Springs High School, and I had a young woman after after my presentation. She came to me. She said, "You know, I'm so glad to be to see you here because you are a woman of color in journalism." You know, and when and I think it was 14 or 15 years old. And so when you when a young person says that to you, you know, that's a, that's a great feeling about that about being doing what we do and inspiring the next generation. Because we could go on and we could do have our careers and, and not talk to anybody. That's not That's what we right. do. But that is so important, Candace. It's so important. It actually is, Rose. I, I can tell you the number of times that I've gone to construction meetings or I've met with the executive committee over a project, and I'm usually the only female or the only uh, person of color in the room. Mm-hmm. And you talk about having a seat at the table. That can be extremely intimidating to, to anyone and to be taken seriously. And so actually part of our research is there's an element on mentorship mm-hmm. and uh, across the board, everyone has indicated that it's important for them to see themselves in the role that they're striving to have. Mm-hmm. I think often when we talk about, oh, everybody gets a seat at the table. Well, you look around the table and you're like, hmm, <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to yeah. I want to I want to shift and focus on you for a moment because I understand you were actually enrolled in a doctorate program at another institution, but then you said, eh, "Nope, I'm gonna stay at Georgia Tech." Um, and also, we should know that you received a an is it an OMED Tower Award? I did. So you're absolutely right. Georgia Tech came during a time in which I was actually enrolled in a doctorate program at another university and another concentration. And I felt it was so important for me to 
really know what I know within building construction because my company was going to do more of those services that I actually stopped the doctorate program that I was enrolled in, enrolled into the master's program at Georgia Tech. And as a result of that, I now will be pursuing my PhD in building construction at Georgia Tech in the fall. And again, this wasn't a very traditional path for me, Mm -hmm. but it's just so important based off of things that you just talked about. It's so important for us to uh, reach back and pull the next generation up because there's so many opportunities, so many uh, opportunities for, for young girls to, you know, have roles that they traditionally didn't think they could have. So what is your what is that gold nugget that you want to leave folks who might be be in that non-traditional path? What do you want them to know? You know, I've over the past few uh, days, I've seen all these graduations on social media and I've noticed there are several people like me who went a non-traditional path. And what I would like to tell people is it's never too late to pursue your goals and your dreams. And if it is going back to finish a degree or start a new career, you know what? Go for it. And I encourage people to do that, especially the young folks. This young generation is fearless. I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. But giving them the direction and the guidance and the resources is so critical for for their success. Let's take a moment where this is the part of the conversation where we have to thank, you know, moms, dads, husbands, spouses, whatever. Uh, Who has been... uh, that that rock for you those that support system for you through all of this and you better not leave out your four-year-old german shepherd (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well first you know there is my husband terrence washington i tell you he is a uh a rock star he whatever i decide i want to do he is like i'm 100 percent behind you and to have his support is really you know what what fuels me um my son who's now 14 years old uh, he is my inspiration. Mm-hmm. He truly is my why, uh, why I want to continue to do well and show him that I'm doing well. And of course, my mother, my mother who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, Lavonna Moore, she is uh, phenomenal. You should have a show about her. Okay. But she is a phenomenal, <laughs> she is a phenomenal <laughs> uh, woman of God. And she's completely been in my corner from day one in ways that just exceeds being a mother. And of course, my four-year-old German Shepherd Cave. He is—he's uh, like my my second child, so he's fun to come home to and see. Is Cave—is he the reason for the name of the company? Uh, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> my husband played uh, uh, real quick. My husband played college football, and he was pretty good, they say. And then <laughs> he was wild like a caveman, and so his name was Cave because he was a caveman because he was defense guy and so the name kind of uh stuck as we were trying to decide the name of our company to have something unique and something personal as well so can for candace and k for for uh my husband and what position did your husband play was he a running back no he was on defense He's on you defense? should have a show on him too well, just <laughs> have a, a show on the whole washington family yes, the whole washington <laughs> family that's right yeah, he played on defense. Um, he he had a lot of records that he set in high school and some in college. And, of course, now my son is is the same way, and hopefully he gets a, a, a full ride somewhere in, in, in high in college. That's what our hope is. And he is a, he's pretty wild and, and strong and all of that that goes with 
the requirements for football. That's but great. I'm extremely proud of them. Um, I, I wouldn't be where I am without their love and their support. All right, then here comes that all, well, it's all the questions we hope have been important, but where do you see yourself in maybe five years, five, 10 years maybe? I tell you what I, I hopefully, hopefully that I'll be retired somewhere where I can sit back and, and, and travel around and, and uh, support people that have supported me. Uh, but seriously, I really would like to be uh, thriving in my companies. Um, we uh, recently expanded uh, services to include general contracting. Um, I'll be a licensed general contractor in June. And as a result, we'll be able to um, have reciprocal licenses in a couple other states. So in five years, I want to have my company to be uh, a thriving, successful business. And hopefully those numbers, how optimistic are you in those numbers that we talked about in terms of women in construction and women of color in construction and construction management? Is it going to take another decade or so? And will we see these numbers? Will we see that gender gap close? Uh, I think we're going to have to put a lot of focus and effort on uh, promoting the opportunities within construction for women and how they can impact that industry. But my personal opinion, uh, I speculate at least 10 years before you start to see the needle move Mm -hmm. with the representation of women in construction. All right. Candace Washington, Hold on to this because there's a lot to say, but Candace Washington, 2022 graduate Georgia Tech, earned her master's in construction management. She's also the CEO and founder of the privately owned WMBE certified construction management and engineering firms, Concave Management and Concave Engineering. Candace, Candace, thank you so much for taking time. Congratulations again and keep us posted and uh, best of luck to you and everybody in your German, in your German Shepherd cave. <laughs> Great. Thanks again so much for having me and allowing me the opportunity to tell my story. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. I am so loving these college graduate profiles. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other, as you all do, send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you miss any of today's program, it's always online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And y'all know Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m., as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information... 
visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.